0: Well, I'd like to pray with you for a minute or two before we look into God's word. So let's pray. You know, as we were singing your praises today, Lord,
1: just different images flashing through my mind.
0: We think of you as the one that has created it all the eternal something, the eternal one self-existent one. And with our finite minds, we can't get our minds around
1: that concept. But we understand enough to know that there has to be something that's eternal. We believe it is you. And we acknowledge you as the one that has created it all, as it says in Ephesians, the one that sustains it all, the one that created it and just so so that we could survive and thrive and enjoy a beautiful place. Thank you for the beauty of the earth. An incredible place. It's such a powerful testimony. The stars at night, the world we enjoy. It's such a powerful testimony of your creativity, your omniscience, that you're powerful, What a beautiful picture of who you are. The scripture tells us that the creation reveals so much to us about who you are. It tells us that you're there. But then, apart from that, you've given even more specific revelation of yourself and your
0: scripture. He talks to us about this in Psalm 19 about what, what we
1: did and, and how you responded and, and how you had this plan and that Jesus would come. And we have celebrated that in this last month. We are so grateful for your coming, Lord Jesus. And Father, we're grateful now that we can pray and open your word. And there's so many truths that come out of it. I think of the promise that you have for all the nations of the world. Christ came for every person. May we have that global mindset. We tend to be sort of inward looking. Help us to have a a global mindset because you are a global God. We also think of our other brothers and sisters in the other Bible-believing churches in and around this community. I, I think of Fort McLeod Alliance Church this morning where Pastor Aaron is preaching, just doing some pulpit supply for them out there. Bless that service. Anoint him as he speaks. And We think of some of the other, and there's a number of Bible-believing churches. We think of the Evangelical Free Church here in town of College Drive, of Park Meadows. There's just a number of the King of Kings. Lord, bless those churches too. Just thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and may our corporate services exalt you. So now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you would speak to us, remind us of the eternal truths but that are not just you know theological concepts we put on a shelf, but they change our life. So we pray these
0: things now in Jesus' name cornerstone. In most modern construction, tracked frequently in modern construction,
1: there's a ceremonial building block that gets added to the construction. And usually there'll be some kind of dedication or ceremonial service where they'll take a type of stone or a plaque and they'll place it in sort of a ritualistic way, on the outer wall of the building. And we've done that in our church. You've probably seen it when you've come in the front door of the church. There's going to be a picture of the plaque on the screen behind me, or on your screen at home if you're watching. And usually like ours, the plaque or the stone has a type of inscription. It has a reference to the year that the building was built. But really, it's meant to be more decorative and inspirational and and sort of celebratory. This building has been constructed, and this is when it happened, and it's a good thing. In the ancient world, a cornerstone was quite different. It had some of those elements, but it was actually a key building element in the facility. They would choose one large stone. And this large stone would play a strategic role in the building of the building. The placement of the cornerstone in the ancient architecture um, informed the alignment of the whole structure. And the structure itself, at least in part, rested on that key cornerstone. And so when they went to place it, they did it very carefully. And the builders would take sightings and they would make sure that this stone was placed just so. Because then after them, the stonemasons would come and they would construct the majority or the balance of the building based on the placement of that cornerstone. And it all hinged on that cornerstone, it all was built out from that, and they were sure that it had been placed just so, so that the walls would come together and be square and all the things that needed to take place. And so functionally, as well as symbolically, it held the whole building together. The choosing and the placement, obviously, of the cornerstone was absolutely crucial. Throughout the month of December and concluding today, we've been looking at that kind of idea in a sense. We've been looking at how Messiah was the cornerstone. And we've been looking at it through the lens of a series called Searching for Hope. And what we've done in this past month is we've celebrated and we've acknowledged the Advent season and how Jesus was spoken about over and over and over and over and over over again in the Older Testament. And the promises were given prophetically, in other words, in a foretelling this is going to happen kind of way, that he is coming and that he'll be the fulfillment of these prophetic words in the Older Testament of the Bible. And with the birth of Messiah, with the birth of Christ, these things were fulfilled. Now some of them still have to be fulfilled, as they would also talk about when he's going to come back a second time. But in each of these messages in this past month or so, we have used the ideas of the Older Testament, we've reffered them, and we've used them to inform the New Testament and see how these things were fulfilled in the New Testament, and we're going to do that again today. But today, in addition to that, we're going to focus all our comments in and around communion. So it's going to be one big thing together. And we're going to see how Messiah and the coming of the Messiah fits together with this concept of the chief cornerstone in the ancient mind. And one of the promises from Scripture that talks about the chief cornerstone, is again found in the book of Isaiah. And we have frequently referenced the book of Isaiah in this series. We were singing some of the concepts from the book of Isaiah earlier in the service. Isaiah is again one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that the minor prophets, so-called minor prophets, are insignificant. It just means that the scope and the longevity of, and the reach of their ministry was a, little more, was a little larger in the case of the major prophets than the minor. Both important, just bigger scope. And so Isaiah is one of the major prophets. He lived about 700 years before Jesus did. And he writes this. We again have referenced a number of times his prophetic comments these last few weeks, but listen to what he says today in Isaiah 28, verse 16. He says this, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. And so he's saying, Messiah is coming, a precious cornerstone. And the person that chooses to trust, in other words, goes all in on this cornerstone, will not be dismayed. Look for his coming, Isaiah is writing. And he says prophetically, the Messiah is coming. God promises to send, and what he's saying by that, to send his son. And he is the very foundation on whom we need to build everything in our life. Everything needs to build out and be supported and be aligned by that chief cornerstone. Let's see now how this gets played out in the New Testament era, in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. So turn with me in your Bible, your hard copy, or on your device to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is found almost all the way to the end of the Bible, if you come to Galatians and Ephesians, keep going a little bit to the right. If you come to Hebrews, just past that. Revelation, you've gone too far. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And Peter, the book of Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, who really was the chief spokesman of the apostles that rode with Jesus for three years. And then we're instrumental in the, in the sort of the launch and the continuation of the early church. Listen to what Peter writes in fulfillment and referencing this Isaiah 28 passage. It says to this, Peter writes, As you come to him, as you come to Christ, the living stone, rejected by men, by chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built. So when you make this choice, like it says in Isaiah, to trust in him, you become part of the family of God. And it's a process. He walks with you every day. He comes into your life. He changes your life. But you are being built at the same time. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And often we try to take what we think about ourselves and who we think we are based on all kinds of circumstances in life. And this can be very disappointing at points. And contrary to that, the scripture says, no, no, find who you are and how valuable you are and how instrumental you are based on who you are in Christ. You, and just listen to some of these truths in this passage about who you are. You are a living stone because you're connected to the chief corner stone. You are part of a holy priesthood. God has things for you to do in his service is what he's saying. You are a holy priesthood, a spiritual house. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has done in you, you are able to make sacrifices to God that are acceptable to absolutely holy, pure God. Apart from Jesus, our sacrifices fall by the way. For in scripture it says, and now he's going to quote the Isaiah passage, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. And then a very much defining line in the stand verse, verse 7. Now to him who believes, this stone is precious. The word believe in Scripture always means I'm all in. I'm absolutely committed. But then it says, but to those who did not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that caused men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But, and again, he speaks to us that are part of the family. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're part of the family of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. From God alone. It also says, just keep those ideas in mind. Back in the book of Ephesians, which is just a little bit to the left, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. So we've heard what Isaiah said was going to happen. We've heard how Peter has said this has taken place. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul says as he writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, consequently, in other words, Because of this, this is what's going to be true. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. In other words, you're no longer outside of the family of God. But fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple in the Lord. Very much in these verses, in 1 Peter and in Ephesians, there's this line in the sand drawn in these passages. And this is what communion, when we break bread together, points us to as well. This very clear line in the sand that God has. And the line is that Jesus was sent by the Father to be Messiah, to be the chief cornerstone, to be the one around whom our whole life is built. The one that you enter into relationship with God by trusting in what he said he was and what he said he would do. The one that Scripture says you put your faith in. The one, as it said, I think it was in verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2, the one that you believe in. And you believe in him for salvation. You believe in him for forgiveness. You understand, I, I'm alienated from a holy God. I'm trusting him for salvation, for forgiveness for my sins. I'm trusting him for life itself. I'm believing that he Historically, literally, did go to the cross, that he did die in my place, and that he did rise from the dead. Or, verse 7 in 1 Peter 4, chapter 2, says, and, and, and as well in Ephesians 2, or I do not believe those things. Along, and he references the leaders, the religious leaders of that day back in Israel, or along with those religious leaders, I reject that premise. And therefore, and it's just abundantly clear, like, I'm always shocked by people that's, you know, I don't think they really read the book. Because they think there's some middle way to muddle through or some other way to get there. And you don't have to believe it. It's a free country. But understand this. Don't lie to yourself this way and think there's another way. Or think there's a mother way to muddle through. The scripture is extremely clear. There is zero ambiguity here. You're either inside or you're outside the family of God. There is no middle ground. There's only one way to be in the family of God, and this is through Christ. And it's a very personal decision that no one else can make for you. No one else can make it on your behalf. No one else can pay for it for you. No one else can earn it for you. It's based on Christ alone. And every one of us makes it one way or the other. So Paul says as he's writing in Ephesians, when we put our faith in the stone, in the chief cornerstone, when we trust in the the chief cornerstone, that he did what he said he would do, and he was who he said he was. No longer strangers to God. Literally become part of the family of God, Peter says and Paul says, we become citizens of heaven. That was one of the lines of the songs we sang like 10 minutes ago. We're part of the family of God and all of this is predicated on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. He is central he is foundational it all rests on him the christmas season and the time just subsequent to it i think is a terrific time to kind of quiet ourselves as we anticipate a new year and really assess the direction of our life and i understand that we typically don't do it just prior to christmas because there's lots of hustle and bustle, but in the time subsequent to Christ- Christmas and right about now as we're really literally stepping into the new year, this is a good time to sit back and reflect. We can, I would suggest, as one light writer has put it, ponder the pattern our lives are weaving. Ponder the pattern our lives are weaving And as you do this, I just ask you this fundamental question. What or who is the chief cornerstone of your life? As you read these passages and you understand, you better have some clarity around that. What or who is the chief cornerstone of your life? What is the point on which my life is constructed, that pivots around, that's all built out from? Because we all have one. Whether we're a biblical believer, as it's been described in these passages, or someone who doesn't even believe there's a God, every one of us has a pivot point, a point that we're constructing our life out from. And so people choose all kinds of different pivot points or cornerstones. For some people, it's science. And science is a wonderful thing there's nothing wrong with science we greatly benefit from it but i think it's sadly lacking as a chief cornerstone of life and will ultimately disappoint great thing but as the chief cornerstone of life it will disappoint it doesn't have all the answers not nearly some people use human reason i'll figure it all out myself but they quickly discover if they have any level of honesty that The more they know, who was it that said that? The more they know, the more they know they don't know. And the mysteries of life remain just that. The mysteries of life. Or achievement. If I can just reach these goals in life, somehow this will be the thing that I'll pivot around, I'll build my entire life around. And they see the hollowness of that eventually. It's good to achieve things, but if this is what everything is about in life, it becomes empty pretty quickly. Or pleasure, hedonistic pursuits. Again, there's diminishing returns there. Or another person, as great as that person might be, they're going to disappoint you at some point. What is the chief or who is the chief cornerstone or beginning point or pivot point of your life? Other people look at a type of spirituality. Or they'll subscribe to some religious activity, or they'll think it's just based in philosophy, I'll just think my way through this. Or serving others, this this will do it for me, or social justice. Again, every one of these things have some real element of positivity to them. But as the chief cornerstone of life, you will ultimately, I'm going to suggest, find them lacking. I'm going to... I'm going to suggest that many of us live an unexamined life. And we kind of just let life unroll in front of us. And we're hesitant to take an extended, honest
0: look at what the real cornerstone of our life is. As life progresses,
1: many people find the thing they've actually built their life on, whether they're even aware of that or or not, is something
0: that will ultimately disappoint them. Because it's the wrong cornerstone. You don't have to agree, but God says it very, very plainly. There is only one
1: reliable cornerstone. There is only one chief cornerstone. When we come to the communion table, what we are doing is we are acknowledging that. You're bowing the knee, either literally or figuratively, to that. We are saying one more time, Lord Jesus,
0: I have chosen you. As you reached out to me, and I received what you did.
1: I want to, as I come to the communion table, I want to thank you for giving me and for saving me. I understand I didn't deserve that mercy that 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 talks about. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's just something you've given to me. And I say thank you to you for that. I affirm again That you are the chief cornerstone of my life. That I want, as it says in verse 5 there from 2 Peter 2, I want my whole life to be built out from you. As it's sort of symbolically referenced in the communion time. I want to trust you and you alone with the direction of my life. I understand relationship with God has that element of the eternal to it, and one day I'll be with you in heaven. But it's it's not just that. As important as that is, it's every day. That's why it says in the early part of that second, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're being built. There's that element of the already and not yet. Additionally, I'm in Christ. I'm in the family. I'm, I'm part of the royal priesthood. And yet Jesus is working on me at the same time. And he's planning the direction of my life. He's reshaping me. He's reforming me. He's filling me with his spirit. He's empowering me to live and to, to
0: sacrifice and to glorify him. As I take communion, i affirm this and i worship you i do this
1: let me just invite everyone that's here this morning or everyone that's online with us if you have received christ as the chief cornerstone of your life you are so welcome to enjoy communion with us together i invite you i encourage you to enter in if you're able to say sincerely I trust him alone for my salvation. I've given my life to him. He's the Savior. He's the Lord of my life. You're invited. You're encouraged to share in communion. You don't have to be a member of this church or of this family of churches in Canada and around the world. You know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. I invite you to partake in communion. And by doing this, we're worshiping Jesus. We're saying thank you to him for being all that he said he was, for being the one who did come as we celebrated in this last Advent month. You did come. You did live among us. You made the choice as the Spirit-filled God-man not to sin. You did go to the cross. when You didn't have to. You did it on my behalf, and you let my sin be laid on you. You died on my behalf. You rose from the dead. The scripture says in the book of Acts, 40 days after that, he ascends to the right hand of the Father with the promise in Acts 1 that one day
0: soon, he come back. We are saying amen, which means I agree,
1: I affirm, I'm in on when we come to the communion table.
0: So as we prepare to take the elements together, there's a number of places in Scripture where
1: this takes place as the different stories of the life of Jesus, the historical biographical accounts are laid out. One of them is in the book of Luke, chapter 22. He gathers his leadership team. The Bible calls them disciples together. He says he's been eager to share this meal with them. And he does something to them, with them rather, that he invites all of us to do with with a healthy regularity. Because it it reminds us of this idea of him being the chief cornerstone. That everything in our life is built out from this. So listen to what he said to them. Then we'll take the elements together says in Luke chapter 22, And Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and broke it. and He handed it out to his disciples. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant. In other words, I'm creating a deal, a new deal between God and you. And God never reneges on a deal. Never backs down, never changes the parameters of it. He can be trusted. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I'm going to ask you to pray just silently for a few minutes just to examine your heart as we take communion together, and then I'll explain to you how we're going to do
0: it. So do that, and then I'll pray, and then we'll take them together. In the quietness of these moments, either
1: at home or here in the sanctuary, we say thank you, Lord
0: Jesus. Thank you for your body, which was broken for us. They at
1: you, they beat
0: you, they hit you with the butt end of their spears. All of the things they did. We thank you that you allowed your blood to be shed, which
1: led to your death prior to your resurrection. In doing this, you established this new covenant, this new deal between us and
0: Holy God. You were the perfect lamb. So as we do
1: these things together, we say thank you. We remember. We remember the day or the time in our life when we gave our life to you and you forgave us and we became part of the family of God. Think back to what you did. We think back to that time in our life when you saved us and we look forward to the day
0: when you'll come back. May it be soon. Do these things now in Jesus' name. Take the bread. Then we'll open the cup. It represents the blood of Christ, the new covenant with him.